0: Well, I brought with me two flashlights this morning. Which of these would you like? so I, I, I grew up uh, collecting like pocket knives and flashlights, and just if that was a, if there was a Christmas gift that my parents were uh, now my wife and children get me, it's a pocket knife flashlight, they're always going to go right. And uh, I've lost almost all of them, but these two I still have. So I, I think, I've had this one since close, I think since high school. If this isn't the exact one, I was getting these back in high school. But this is kind of the old technology, you know, a couple AA batteries and it's got the actual light bulb. It's not the LED, but you know it works when you turn it on. There's a little bit of a light and you can even focus it if i get close enough you know i could blind some of you maybe no not even close so it's this 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 light you know would work right so then my wife knew that i needed a better flashlight so her and reed found one at christmas time this year now this is the new technology you know a lot this would this is a lot better you can even like you know spotlight in in into a dark place you know you can if you were in the woods okay if if you were hiking at night in an unfamiliar place which which light do you want? Which, which one is going to help, right? Better yet, if you were lost at night in the woods with no light, you're in total darkness, okay? And there are rescuers who have flashlights. Which one do you want them to have, right? Your life depends on them having the bright flashlight. Well, I, see, I want you to see some verses from the book of Matthew. Because while we're in Philippians today, and Paul is going to talk about who Christians who shine as light. But I want you to see from the book of Matthew chapter 5, as Jesus is talking with uh, his, his followers and giving the Sermon on the Mount, he says that Christians are like a light. And so Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5 starting in verse 14 and he says you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. And he says in verse 16, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. As Christians, we God has put us here to shine as lights in a dark world. Shawnee Baptist Church is a group of Christians who are supposed to be a people who shine and the light and testimony of the gospel message goes out to a world in darkness. So what kind of a light are we reflecting to this world in darkness? Of the two lights, which is your light, right? Your Christian life, is it the dull, dim one that could never illuminate anything? Or is it the one that is shining brightly, For us as Shawnee Baptist Church, what is our corporate witness? What is our light to the world around us, to this community that God has put us right here in the pines of South Jersey? What is our corporate witness to the dark world around us? Are we shining forth the testimony of the gospel? Not just here, but to the nations. Are we bringing the gospel message to a world lost in darkness who needs the truth of the gospel? God calls us to be Christians who shine, Paul's instructions for the church at Philippi is that they would be a people who shine. And so we as a church want to be Christians who shine. So how do we do that? Well, here's the one thing that I want you to get from the message this morning. As we start in Philippians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 12. And if you're taking notes, here's the one thing that you can write down. Christians who shine are Christians who act like Christ. Christians who shine are Christians who act like Christ. This is how God has designed for the testimony of the gospel to go forth as believing Christians shine this message into a lost and dark world. And Christians who shine are Christians who act like Christ. And Paul is going to have several ways that he wants them to carry this out. And you're going to understand more of, well, so what does that look like? How do we look like Christ? And specifically, what did Paul expect of the church there in Philippi? Start in verse 12 and we will go through this section by section as Dr. Russ read it. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my present, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both... To will and to work for His good pleasure, and we'll stop right here with the first verse, though the first sentence. These two verses go together, and, and Paul is saying, therefore, so he, he's tying up some thoughts that he's just been talking about. To, uh, last week we looked at verses one through four of chapter two, where Paul admonished them to Christ-like humility, and he says Christ was the ultimate example of Christ-like humility. In verses five through eleven, And he says, now, therefore, here's the way you need to live. He's really going all the way back to chapter one, verse. 27, when he said, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This was Paul's overarching concern for the church at Philippi, that he wanted them to live as citizens worthy of the gospel. He wanted their life to match up with the truth that they proclaimed and they needed to stand together in unity. They needed to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so he said to do that, they're going to have to walk in unity. They're going to have to walk in Christ like humility. Christ was the ultimate example of that. And he comes to verse 12 and he says, therefore, because of all of this, you, you, um, my beloved, he reminds them of the close relationship that he has with them as his children, as he worked among them. My beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my present, but much more in my absence. That, that's the kind of language, you know, like if, you're, if your parent walks into the room when you were a child and your dad says, Son, I know you always do what's right. I know you never disobey me. I know I would never have to ask you twice. You know you know what what's dad doing? He's he's really turning up the pressure to get you to obey, right? And Paul is gently reminding them, "Listen, I know that you you guys want to do what's right. You want to obey, and I hope to come and see you, but I don't want you to obey just because I showed up, right?" I want you to obey even in my absence. I want you to do the right thing. And what's the right thing? He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works within you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Well, what is Paul saying when he tells them that they need to work out their salvation with fear and trembling? This is one of those verses that can be confusing. In fact, the first time you read it, it almost sounds like, well, is Paul telling them they have to work for their salvation? Is Paul telling them that like with fear and trembling, They better be careful or they might not work hard enough for their salvation. Well, that's that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is not telling people how to get saved. He's telling saved people how to live. And so that word works, it carries with it the idea of, of to accomplish or to put something into effect entirely or thoroughly. Paul is telling them, listen, you are saved people. You've always obeyed. I want you to obey now. And the effects of your salvation, you need to work them out entirely and completely. He wants them to act like they're really saved. He wants them to be people who actually look like Christ. That's why he's been telling them to stay united and strive together for the faith of the gospel. It's what they need to understand. And so he wants them to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. And certainly that reminds them of the seriousness of this. It reminds them of the importance that with fear and trembling they need to work out their salvation. Their salvation needs to be put into effect in every Every aspect of their life. And he reminds them, where is this going to come from? How is this going to be produced in their life? He says in verse 13, It is God who is at work in you... Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is different. Even though our English word uses the word work in the original language here, this, this word has the idea of implementing. So it's it's God who is implementing or causing to function. It's God who is enabling you the ability to work out your salvation. Both the will, God is enabling our will or our a desire to do what's right, and God is also then giving us the ability to actually do it. Both to will and to do the work that God has given. And so God is the one who is enabling this. In commenting on this section, Gordon Fee says this, the believer is not one who has been begrudgingly caught by God, as it were, so that obedience is basically out of fear and trembling over what might happen if one were to do otherwise. Rather, being Christ means to be converted in the true sense of that word, to have one's life invaded by God's Holy Spirit so that not simply new behavior is now affected, but a new desire toward God that prompts such behavior in the first place. And and Paul is setting up. He, right now, he's just giving an, like an introduction to the big command that's coming. He says, listen, because you're Christians, I want you to obey. I want you to work out the effects of your salvation. And listen, God is the one who's behind the seeds enabling this, giving you even the desire to do what's right, and then the ability to carry that out. And he wants them to catch why this is so important, because he wants them to be Christians who shine. And he's going to explain what it is that they need in, in, in all of their acting like Christ, in working out the effects of their salvation. He's covered some of it already by telling telling they need to be citizens worthy of the gospel, by telling them that they need to stand together united, by telling them that with Christ-like humility they need to put the interests of others first. And there's one more way that they need to work out their salvation, and a primary way in this context right here. Look at verse 14. This is what he says. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights... In the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. When Paul tells them to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, that they need to put their salvation into effect thoroughly in their life, the first place he goes to is no grumbling. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. The two words that grumbling carries with it the idea that that low-grade murmur, You know, when you start muttering under... I can't believe... How wide they do that. Can can you believe... Did you hear what he did? You know, that kind of grumbling that can arise in a congregation. It brings to mind when the Israelites were a grumbling people and God has to rebuke them. And and so he says, listen, there there is no room for grumbling. There's no room for disputing, right? This is those that love to argue. So whereas last week we said unity does not need uniformity. Well, this week he says, listen, there's no... Neither, on the other hand, is there a reason to always get into arguments. We don't have to get to the point of disputing, questioning, arguing, being a contrarian for the sake of being a contrarian. He says there's no place for that in the church. You can't can't, uh, be murmuring complainers. You can't be grumblers in that sense. Instead, he says that the reason that he wants them to not have grumbling and disputing is so that they would be blameless and innocent the lack of their grumbling and complaining and arguing will will then cause them to be blameless, innocent. He doesn't want a charge to stick... In, uh, b- As the world watches on, he says they're in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom they shine as lights in the world. So their ability to shine as lights in the world is connected to how well they put their salvation into effect, how well they work it out, meaning in this context, one of the things they're supposed to do is no grumbling, no disputing. As they grumble and dispute, they're no longer blameless. They're no longer innocent. They're no longer shining. shining as lights to the world around them. And so he wants them to stop that. He wants them to do all things without grumbling and disputing. He wants them to be blameless and innocent children of God who without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Do you remember back in verse 9 when we started, verse 9 of chapter 1, we started this prayer and he said uh, that it's my prayer that your love would abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. He was praying that they would be pure and blameless. And now this is exactly what he's exhorting them to. And he's wanting them to catch this. That listen, they're grumbling, they're complaining, they're disputing, they're arguing. is probably directly related to the lack of unity that he's had to talk about in verse 27 and again in chapter 2 in the first four verses. He wants them to stand together with one faith, with one mind. And when grumbling and murmuring and complaining is going on, there's no way they're going to get to Christ like unity. There's no way if they're not putting the interests of others first, have you ever seen somebody grumble and complain by putting the interests of others first? that we only grumble and complain when we put our own interests first and we're tearing down others and paul says listen i don't want that stop the grumbling stop the complaining because i want you to be a people who are pure and blameless without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation the world we live in is dark enough The world we live in is hopeless enough. Christians who are grumbling and complaining provide no hope and no light to a dark world that needs it. I told you a few weeks ago that Jack and I were able to go to a conference and as we were the theme of the conference was holiness and the opening session, the pastor that spoke was just reminding us of our need for both personal holiness and that churches together would be holy. And he was describing that because because even though we as Christians we have this justification and we are positionally holy before God, we're not yet sanctified in this process of becoming fully like Christ. We live in this Roman 7 world. The, the good thing that I want to do, that's what I can't do. And the bad thing I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. And so we as Christians, we, we still have to work towards holiness that we would be pure and blameless before a watching world around us. And when we, when we give into that, this author was pointing out, this pastor was speaking, He's saying, when we give in to that, when when we don't fight sin as we should, when we are not holy as we should be, when the sins in our lives match those of our neighbors, when uh, when when. Um, when our hopes and fears match those of the lost world around us, when we are not pure as a people and as a church, we lose our ability to influence the world around us. And he said that when that happens, when we lack holiness as a church, we become so much like the world that we provoke no questions and provide no answers. We as a church are supposed to be a beacon, a light on a hill. We should provoke questions. We should provide answers. And Paul is concerned for the church at Philippi. And he says, listen, if you don't get some things worked out, I want you to to stay together in unity. I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who's working in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And therefore, no grumbling. Do all things without grumbling or complaining or disputing and this is a way that they will be pure and blameless before the world around them so that in the middle of that world they will shine as lights, shine as stars even to the lost, to the crooked, twisted generation that they live in and he wants them to see how important it is that they live that way and then and then the passage takes a turn well for, first of all he says that they're supposed to hold fast the word of life so as they live this way they need to stay united they, they, no grumbling no disputing instead he wants them to be pure and blameless and they hold fast to the word of life the message of the gospel specifically but the scripture the word that gives life and there's discussion uh, as 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 people look into this, are they holding firmly or are they holding forth? The word can mean either. And so I'm not here to give you the answer because I couldn't figure it out. You can go home and look into it. Context seems like maybe they're holding forth the word of life, but certainly if they're holding firmly the word of life and, and, and if they're holding tight to the, the message of God's word, it's going to cause them to hold that forth to others, and that's what they need to stick to. The, certainly, whichever way it means, the gospel and the message of the word of God that gives life is what they need to cling to as a people, and the reason Paul wants them to do that is not just so that they will be pure and blameless on on the day of Christ. But he also says uh, that, that in the day of Christ, he wants to be proud that he did not run in vain or labor in vain. So that in the day of Christ, I may be proud, Paul says, that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So Paul now comes back to bring himself back into the story. If you remember the way the book started, he started, the, the Philippians were concerned about him, and he says, don't worry about me, even in my imprisonment, what's happened to me has served to advance the gospel. And so he walks through that and and then he turns the tables on verse 27. Now about you, I want you to live as citizens worthy of the gospel and he wants them to stay unified. He wants them to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. He wants no grumbling, no disputing. They need to hold fast to the word of life. Why? Because Paul was laboring on their behalf and he, sitting in prison, doesn't want to find out that this church has lost its gospel witness. That that he labored in vain, that, that his work on their behalf became futile or turned to nothing. And so he brings the story back to himself, and, and then verses 7, 18, 17 and 18 continue as he's kind of wrapping up this whole section, because when we get to verse 19, he's kind of going a new direction. And so he, he puts both his circumstances and their circumstances in context, and he says in verse 17, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith I am glad and I rejoice with you all likewise you also should be glad and rejoice with me and so Paul wants them to understand he says listen so even if my life if all that I have worked for and all that God has caused remember Paul's in prison he doesn't know for sure if he will get out and yet he says this is I I, I actually rejoice in this to live is Christ this is all that I wanted and he, he views his his life as a sacrificial drink offering to be poured out. So, in the Old Testament, when there was either a uh, meat offering or a grain offering, and either the animal or the grain was on the altar and to be consumed with fire, the priest could pour a drink offering, either wine or water or honey. And as you would pour that out on the altar, the, the, it would just signify the uh, sacrifice and the aroma going up to God. And, and so, here he's saying, My life has been poured out on your behalf as as a drink offering to the sacrificial offering which is your faith. He says, your faith and the fact that you are walking with God, that's the sacrifice, that's the offering, and my life has been poured out as a drink offering on your faith. And he says, if that's the case, I rejoice in that. That brings him joy. He says, I am glad and I rejoice with you all, and likewise you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is kind of coming back full circle to help them understand. you want to know what brings joy? You want to know what brings gladness? You want to know where you find fulfillment in life? It's not in circumstances. It's not in the absence of trouble. Here Paul is in prison and he says, I will rejoice and be glad if my life is used to help your faith go the right direction. And that's where he will find joy. That's what he will rejoice in. And he wants them. That's, that's why he doesn't want them to get caught up in the infighting, in the complaining, in the arguing. He wants them to be a people who are unified, who stand together and strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's what he has given his life to. And he wants them to understand it. So that, that takes us through the passage. This is what Paul has said. And my point of application for us is that Christians who shine are Christians who look like Christ or Christians who act like Christ. Christians who shine are Christians who look like Christ, Christians who act like Christ. So from this passage, let's ask ourselves three questions that will help us understand, are we looking as we should? Are we acting like Christ? Is our gospel witness going forth? Are we the dim light or are we the bright light? Well, as, as you go through it, first of all, I want to ask you this question. Is your salvation showing? Is your salvation showing? What I mean by that, have you put your salvation into effect? Are you working it out? Are you seriously working hard at carrying out the effects of your salvation into your everyday life? Is salvation for you just this this truth that you cling to? The fact that Christ died for your sins and that by faith and repentance you can receive salvation and forgiveness from God for your sins. Is that just a truth that you give mental assent to? That's somewhat like fire insurance that you hope on the last day you will get out of jail free because you can acknowledge these truths or at some point in your life you responded to it. Perhaps you raised a hand or walked an aisle or or at some point you asked Christ into your heart but the rest of your life hasn't changed? If that's just a truth that you have mentally assented to, well, there, there is truth there that needs to be put into effect of every part of your life. Your salvation needs to be worked out in your life. Because if you on the one hand claim the gospel, but your life looks no different than an unbelieving neighbor... You spend your money the same way as your unbelieving neighbor. You use your time the same way as your unbelieving neighbor. You're entertained in the same way. You you live the same lifestyle choices. Uh, That's not the gospel of the New Testament. That's not the Jesus of the New Testament. That's one that you have invented. And my challenge would be, is your salvation showing? Have you put the effects of your salvation into work, not working for your salvation, but because you're saved, you live this way in every aspect of your life? So is your salvation showing? Would people at your work be surprised to find out that you're a Christian? Would people at your school be f- surprised to find out that you follow Christ? Is your salvation showing? Have you put those, effect, those actions into effect? And this, this is not um, legalism in that sense. Sometimes we struggle with being exhorted to live a certain way as Christians, especially those of us that have grown up in strict or conservative circles or churches, and we think well, that, that, that any admonition to seriously work hard as our faith, well, that's legalism. No, no, no. Legalism is those that seek to earn justification by their efforts, right? So so the ad, once we have been justified, once we understand that salvation comes by faith and not of works, now we still have to live a certain way and work out our salvation with fear and trembling. This fact that we're saved now needs to be carried out in our life. So that's the first question. Is your salvation showing? Second question. Are you grumbling or are you shining? As we look at verses 14, 15, 16, are you one as a Christian who is known to do things with grumbling, with arguing, with disputing? Because that will not have the effect in our lives that God intends, that Paul wants for the church at Philippi. That, that kind of grumbling and complaining will not lead to the testimony of the gospel going forth. What I find ironic is, is that Paul is saying here, listen, you live in the middle of a crooked and twisted generation. The world around you is crooked, twisted in darkness. And the fact that you don't grumble and complain in your church will shine as a light to the lost world around you. How often, how easy is it for us as Christians to complain and grumble at the twisted generation around us because we live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation and so we want to grumble at them because they're lost hoping that that will put them back on the straight and narrow all the while we're harboring our own grumbling and complaining inside of our church communities well that makes no sense and paul is giving the distinctly opposite anecdote there, that instead of grumbling at the twisted and crooked generation, he says, stop all grumbling and complaining because you're in the middle of a twisted and crooked generation, and that will serve as this blameless testimony, this pure testimony where you will shine as lights to the world around you. Think through it. What's my first response when things don't go the way I want? Do I want to grumble? Do I want to argue? Do I want to complain? Whether things in the church, things at home, things at work, because Paul says that part of our testimony and the way we shine is when we don't grumble and complain as a people. Instead, we need to be people who hold fast the word of life, that this is what is truthful to us. It's the message of the gospel where we find support and strength, and and that encourages us along the way. Finally, the last thing is just to think, are our priorities right? And I don't have time to develop this fully, but remember where Paul is at, if you've been with us through the first chapter and a half of Philippians, remember what sparked this letter. The Philippian believers were concerned about Paul because there he is in prison, and they send this financial gift to Paul. They loved Paul. They're warm, compassionate people. And they say, they send this gift, and Paul writes back to them, and that's why he says in verse 12, I want you to know, Verse, chapter 1, verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He says, Don't worry about me. Even though I'm in prison, I'm not worried about that. Uh, I I know that God is going to work to push the message of the gospel forward, and it doesn't matter my personal circumstances. What does matter is that you as a church there at Philippi, you stand united. You, you, You strive together side by side for the faith of the gospel, that you put the interests of others first, that you work out your salvation entirely in your life. That that you as a people hold fast to the word of life. That's what Paul's concerned about. In this moment, here's Paul in prison. He doesn't care if he gets out of prison. His priority is that the light of the gospel shines forth, and that these people who are in Philippi would be Christians who shine because they stand together side by side for the faith of the gospel. Is that where you find joy? Is that where you will be able to be glad and rejoice? Is not when you get your way, not when when circumstances are easy and comfortable but when the message of the gospel goes forth both in your life and through the church and community of believers that you're in because that's what your greatest priority is you're holding fast to this word of life you're not holding fast to your dreams your your uh, career your kids aspirations that's not the word of life that you're holding to you're holding fast to to this word going forth and make sure that your priorities are adjusted in that way because here's paul he's in prison they write and say paul we're concerned about you and he says thank you but guess what god is going to let the gospel go forward my biggest fear is that you as a church would be uh, um, not united because then i'd find out that i labored in vain i don't mind being in prison i don't want to be in prison for nothing because you as a church fell apart that's what paul is saying and it's, it, it's a good admonition for us that we would be a people who have our priorities such that we want to see the word of life. We're clinging to it ourselves and we're proclaiming it to others because we want to be Christians who shine and so we orient our lives to look like Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to be a people who shine, who look like Christ in the way that we carry out the effects of our salvation into every aspect of our life in the way that we even in our attitude and demeanor that we would not be a people known for grumbling but that we would be a people who are known for holding firmly to the word of life so that we would be pure and blameless to a watching world around us help us to be people who have our priorities right that that's what brings us joy It's not in our circumstances, not in our dreams, but in holding fast to the word of life and seeing that gospel spread. Help us to be that kind of people. Show us where to change so that we put that into practice. Show me where to change so that I put that into practice in my life. I ask and pray in Christ's name. Amen.